Today we want to continue our series on experiencing Christmas firsthand, and I invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to look at this paragraph beginning at verse 18 through verse 24. I invite you to open your Bibles to that passage. The words will be on the screen, but will you please stand in honor of the Word of God, and you follow along as I read. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her private, privately or quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and notice, you are to give him his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how good it is to be together as your family. We're so happy to welcome so many new guests as well today. We praise you, Lord, for bringing us all together to celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus, that event that changed world history forever. And we have come to acknowledge you and bow in reverence and awe before you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and uh, we want to align our lives closer to you today. And so we pray that as we study your word together, that your Holy Spirit might be at work in each of our hearts, that our minds might be in tune with you, and that we would experience the presence of the living God in this place. We love you. We commit these next moments to you. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When we think of the Christmas story, we oftentimes think of the various Christmas characters. There are many characters that make up this incredible drama that plays out in Bethlehem so many years ago. Uh, we think, first of all, of the baby Jesus. Uh, we think of the Virgin Mary. Uh, we think of the innkeeper, quite possibly even King Herod. We think of the shepherds, the angels, the wise men. We're all taken up with all these characters, but annually there is a figure that is kind of hidden and behind the scenes. It's a shadowy character, almost blending into the scenery. This person doesn't say a whole lot. In fact, he appears to be maybe an onlooker or maybe even an intruder. 
he seems a bit awkward. He seems a bit out of place. We wonder about this person in the shadows. And yet this person in the shadows has been given a command to be the earthly father of a baby that is not his. And yet he is to care for this baby as his very own. This person is a father by appointment. He's a common man. He's a carpenter. He has calluses all over his hands, wood splinters, etc. In fact, he only appears here in the gospel narratives in the beginning of our Lord's life. We see him again in the formative years of the Lord Jesus, and then he disappears and recedes back into the scenery. We don't see or hear a lot about this forgotten man of the manger. His name is Joseph. This morning we want to take a look at this extraordinary man who was given an extraordinary assignment to be the earthly father of the God-man. The God-man who would go to the cross and change the world forever. This man is chosen in the counsels of God to be the one that cares and nurtures and encourages the God-man in his early days. He's a common man. He's much like the shepherds. He lives in a culture where priests and prophets receive all the attention. They're acclaimed. Professionally, he's in the working class. Uh, Socially, he's on the lowest rung. He really is a nobody, except to, to God. The amazing thing about the Christmas story is that God, in bringing his son, the one and only son, into the world, he could have put him in the home of a prophet or a priest. He could have put him in the home of a well-known governor or a king. Instead, he chooses to place his one and only son in the tender care of a simple carpenter from the town of Bethlehem. And in so doing, he takes that which is common and makes it very uncommon. This morning, I want us to lift Joseph out of the shadows and examine his extraordinary life. Surely he must must have been a remarkable young man to be chosen to be the earthly father of God incarnate, God in human flesh. And what awesome responsibilities are given to him to care for the God-man, to help him grow up physically and mentally and spiritually, developing his mind and his body, gaining favor with God and man. And as we examine the scriptures about this, forgotten man in the manger, we discover three great qualities about him. Number one, Joseph is a man of exceptional character. Exceptional character. We observe this immediately here in chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. Put a circle around the word righteous. 
Joseph is the real deal. He's authentic. He's believable. There's not a phony bone in him. He's transparently genuine. There are no skeletons rattling around in his closet. He has no bad press to overcome. He is genuine. He is real from the inside out. He listens to the angel's words telling him about Mary's miraculous conception and the significance of the child that she is carrying. And we see this in verses 20 and 21 of Matthew's gospel. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Notice also that he is given the responsibility of giving Jesus his name Jesus because notice he will save his people from their sins. He's a common man. He's quite ordinary. And yet, at the core of his being is a character that is above reproach. Not only is Joseph a righteous man, you'll notice also that he is a very discreet man. Last part of verse 19. It says when he found out about Mary's condition, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. When the angel informs him of Mary's condition, he doesn't panic. He doesn't accuse her of being unfaithful to him. He doesn't question her. He doesn't distance himself from her. Rather, he seeks to deal with the situation as discreetly and privately as possible. It's been said that a man is born a son to become a father. And as a Jewish young man, Joseph is taught that fatherhood is a privileged responsibility. He understands that the law requires absolute purity between the young man and the young woman during the betrothal period, which lasted for 12 months. And in the sovereignty of God, the condition of Jesus the conception of Jesus must have taken place near the end of the betrothal period. And Joseph, therefore, is free to take Mary to be his wife, even though she is with child, and to safeguard her from public reproach. He's a discreet man. Number three, he's a godly man. He's a man in tune with the voice of God. He is sensitive to the voice of the angel. He's tuned in. And when he is assured that Mary's pregnancy is part of God's overarching plan in bringing salvation to the world, he adjusts his first thoughts, his human impulses, and you notice in verse 24, he takes Mary to be his very own. He embraces the role of fatherhood, sooner than he ever expected to, and with purpose. He understands that he has been given a role by the living God to care for this baby that's been supernaturally conceived of the Holy Spirit and is growing inside Mary's body. 
Number three, number four, Joseph is a self-disciplined man. You'll notice it says in verse 25, he had no union, no sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Here's a young man that's in control of himself, control of his emotions and his passions all at the same time because he has yielded himself to the living God and to the Holy Spirit. And though he takes Mary to be his wife, he has no sexual relations with her until after the baby Jesus is born. Joseph is righteous. He's discreet. He's godly. He's self-disciplined. These are the qualities that are at the core of his being. He isn't selected because he had a, a, a great financial portfolio. He's not selected because he was climbing the corporate ladder and had executive expertise. He is selected to be the earthly father of Jesus because God the Father knew Joseph to be the real deal from the inside out. The most important part of our lives, gentlemen, is what God sees. It's what he sees. And he selects Joseph because of these qualities that were the DNA of his life. Righteousness, integrity, godliness, a sensitivity to the voice of God. And to the crowds, Joseph was just an onlooker. He was just out there. But to the living God, he was a man of exceptional character who could be trusted to take care of this special gift that was being given to the whole world, the baby Jesus. Number two, not only is he a man of great character, he is a man of incredible obedience. And you see this in verses 24 and 25. Joseph's obedience to the Lord is active. It is not passive. The thing that impresses us most as we read the gospel narratives about Joseph is that when God speaks, he doesn't question. He simply obeys. He does exactly what the angel tells him to do. He doesn't argue with the angel. He does doesn't say, well, is there some other way? No, no, no. The angel speaks. He recognizes the angel brings a message from God. And his only response is obedience. He is not a couch potato. Notice in verses 24 and 25, when Joseph woke up, he did. Put a circle around the word did. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Once he understands the divine plan that Mary has been supernaturally impregnated by the Holy Spirit and that he has been charged to be the earthly father of this baby that is growing inside her womb, he immediately responds to whatever the angel says. He obeys the directive without hesitation and he takes Mary home to be his wife. 
get into chapter 2 and we see that the sensitivity of this man is awesome. Matthew chapter 2, verses 12 and 14, after the vision of the Magi, again, Joseph is warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, but to flee to Egypt. You see this in verses 13 and 14. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so what does Joseph do? Verse 14, he got up. He took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. He had no pre-plans for this. He wasn't expecting this kind of direction. And yet, as soon as the angel speaks and makes clear the will of God, Joseph obeys. His sensitivity to God is absolutely awesome. No questions, no arguments, just total sensitivity to the guidance of God. The minute he hears the voice of God, he drops his carpenter tools. He drops his hammer and his saw, and he's ready to move. He places his family before his work. This is an uncommon response. If we're honest, gentlemen, most of us put our work before our family. We get so involved in our work that we only have leftovers for the family. But not Joseph. Not this simple carpenter. There was a popular display on Broadway some time ago entitled My Pal Gus. And it's a play about a businessman whose wife leaves him to raise the little boy, their son, all alone. He's a workaholic. He's extremely busy and successful in his professional life, but he's failing miserably at home. And the whole plot of this particular play centers around the conflict, the preoccupation that he has with his work and his involvement with his son. In one scene, the private school that his son attends decides that each parent should spend one day a month with their child at school, one day a month, to help them with their playtime and to be with them, to build relationships with their family. But instead of participating, this busy father decides to send the school an elaborate array of playground equipment. And when he comes to work the next day, he finds this huge playground equipment all set up in his spacious corner office where he worked. And there was a note attached by the teacher, a wise teacher, quote, as a gift, this is far too much, but as a substitute for you, it is far too little. There is something special about placing our family needs above our own. Ahead of climbing the corporate ladder, 
ahead of being acclaimed by our peers or making a name for ourselves in the business community. Friends and men in particular, there is no substitute for being a father to your kids. We are growing in a culture today where fatherlessness is an epidemic. Many little children today grow up not even knowing who their fathers are. They have no idea who their fathers are. There's no one that plays with them, no one that laughs with them, no one that cries with them. They're left completely alone. There is no substitute for the presence of a godly man in the home. And after the tragic massacre of the boy babies by Herod because he can't lay his hands on the baby Jesus, you'll notice here that Herod dies. And once again, the angel communicates to Joseph in a dream. Look at chapter 2 and verse 20. Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. He first of all is directed to go to Egypt. Now he's to go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And again, in verse 21, notice response immediately. He gets up, he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. This is amazing to me. As soon as God speaks through the angel to Joseph, he obeys. He doesn't understand all the, the particulars of the situation. He just knows that he has received a word from God, and he obeys. And friends, there's something about immediate obedience to God that changes everything. And if there's a message in the Christmas story, it's a message that when God speaks, we need to respond. This was true of the shepherds. We talked about it last week. As soon as the shepherds heard about this incredible announcement, they left their sheep and they left their flocks with no questions and go right to Bethlehem. And here again, Joseph, as soon as God speaks to him, he obeys. No fudging. No putting out some kind of a fleece. Is that, is that what you really mean? And can it be that many of us miss the very best that God has for us simply because when he speaks to us, we tend to discard it. We tend to think, well no big deal I've got other things to do I can do this on my own <laughs> not Joseph not Joseph because Joseph is obedient and sensitive in responding to the voice of God notice the text his actions fulfill scripture notice Verse 21, and he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth, so was fulfilled. Put it underscored in chartreuse, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Joseph, his ready obedience, affirms exactly what the prophets had said about the baby Jesus. What if Joseph had not acted that way? What if he'd been like many of us, 
We're so busy, we're so wrapped up in ourselves, we're so self-preoccupied that many times we can't even hear the voice of God. In fact, the voice of God is muffled by all the other voices that are screaming for our attention. God is looking today for men and women that will get tuned into God. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for a body of people who love God and love him to the point when he speaks, they will respond. When he knocks on the door of their hearts, they open up to him. They get rid of that stuff that keeps them from experiencing the power and the blessing of God. And in the process, they are fulfilling the will of God. And all of this points back to what the prophet said in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, where we read these words, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. You see, Jesus fulfills the messianic hope of the long-awaited deliverer. He will come from the stump of Jesse, from Jesse's roots. The house of David, a, a branch will bear fruit. Jesus is the branch. Nazareth as a town reflects that hope. And Joseph, the carpenter's son, the carpenter settles Jesus, the branch in the city, to bring hope to the world. He will be called the Nazarene. Christmas sends a strong message to us this morning that obedience to God pays rich dividends. Obedience pleases God. Do we want to obey God? Do we want to please Him? Do we really want to please Him? The scripture says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will serve me. Our families will achieve their potential to the degree that we as heads of households model active obedience to God. Can it be that some of our kids and our teenagers today that are going their own way, the thing that they have missed most is a mom and dad who obey God. We're so wrapped up in our own world. We know what God wants us to do. We wonder why our kids are going crazy. Have we listened to the voice of God? Have we obeyed the truth he has given to us in his word? This is the message of Christmas. It pays to be obedient to the living God. That is Christian manhood at its best. And then number three, the third quality about Joseph, he, we discover that he's a man of unquestionable conviction. And for this, you need to turn over to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And I want you to look primarily at verse 22. Jesus is now a young adolescent. He's probably 12 or 13 years of age. Verse 22. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been complete, Joseph, there it is, put a circle around him, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem 
to present him to the Lord. Joseph did not send Mary and Jesus to be presented to the Lord. Joseph and Mary, they go together. He takes the lead in presenting Jesus to the Lord. They're a team. Mary and Joseph, they're a young couple. And from the very outset, both of them are unusually sensitive to the voice of God. I want to encourage young married families, young couples especially, get tuned in to the voice of God early in your marriage. Get tuned in to Him. Marriage is a spiritual matter. It's not just all physical and emotional and social. It's a spiritual matter. The most important thing that we as husbands can do is to pray for our wives. One of the things Sandy and I have tried to do on a regular basis, sometimes we're not together, but when we're together, and I can hold her and I can pray for her, and she can pray for me. It's one of the most precious times you'll ever have as a couple, praying together, being tuned in to the voice of God. You can say things in prayer to God when you're with your mate that you probably couldn't say anyplace else. This is a this is incredible. He doesn't rege- relegate his spiritual responsibilities to his wife. He takes the lead. And for Joseph this involves caring for Jesus, instructing Jesus, And just think about this. In some cases, even disciplining the God-man. Think about that. God in human flesh. This is an overwhelming thought as you think about it. And yet we see that Joseph comes through with flying colors. And here in this instance, verses 22 and 24, he presents Jesus to the Lord in an act of obedience. Notice they took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. It's very interesting to me that when they present Jesus in the temple, they don't have the means to present a sacrificial lamb. They don't have the resources to present a lamb. But according to law in Leviticus, if they didn't have the resources of a lamb, they were to present to the Lord a turtle dove and two young pigeons. Two pairs of doves or two young pigeons. This tells us that jo- uh, Joseph and Mary were poor in comparison to others in their peer group. But they do this as an act of obedience to the Lord. Next, he fulfills his requirements. He does this together with Mary. You see this in 
verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts, and when the parents, notice not parent, parents, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what is customary that the law required. It's very interesting to me that as we continue down in this passage, in verse 41 it says, every year his parents, not parent, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Now it's very interesting as you study Jewish history, you discover that during the Jewish dispersion, the rabbis of that day had dropped the requirement that required a Jewish man to attend all three annual feasts in Jerusalem. They only had to attend one feast and one only, especially if they lived a certain distance away from Jerusalem. But notice what the text says in verse 41. Put a circle around it. Every year, every year, again and again and again, they made that journey, that pilgrimage, to Jerusalem because of their devotion to God and their desire to create a spiritual climate for their growing child. And I'm sure as they made that journey, I wish I could have listened in on the conversation Joseph is having with Jesus. Well, we're going to the temple again today, son. Going to study and learn some more about the law of Moses. It's important, son, that we understand the law. It's important, son, that we obey the law. We're going here out of our love for God and our obedience to him. And I'm sure he talked to Jesus about Israel's miraculous deliverance. Remember the Passover. That was to commemorate this incredible deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. And as they're walking on the way to the to the temple, I'm sure. Joseph and Mary are talking about this incredible, miraculous act that God did. That's why we're going to Jerusalem, to commemorate what God did. They are laying down spiritual markers in their life that they want Jesus to follow. Have you laid down spiritual markers in your home that your family knows? That your kids know, this is the moment. This is when mom and dad committed to Jesus. This is when we decided to put first things first and enthrone Jesus Christ as King and Lord of our lives. Do our kids know the spiritual markers? They're laying down a marker. And they give Jesus... A biblical perspective of life as they go to the temple. Now, what's the bottom line in all this? Why is this man hidden in the shadows so significant? What are the results of Joseph's active obedience, his exceptional character? What's the bottom line? Well, look at verse 40 of Luke chapter 2. And the child grew, underline it in chartreuse, the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, 
and the grace of God was on him. Isn't that something we want for all of our kids? There it is. He grows, he becomes strong, he's filled with wisdom, and the grace of God is upon him. These are the results of leadership in the home. Look at verse 52, the last verse of chapter 2. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus becomes, in his humanity, a well-adjusted young man. He grows intellectually, he grows socially, he grows mentally, he grows physically, and the grace of God is all over him. That's something all of us need to be praying for our kids, that God's grace is all over them. The favor of God is on our kids because we as parents are setting the example. How can we live this out? We have an outstanding model here of the forgotten man in the manger. We can almost see him now coming home from a busy day in the carpenter shop, covered with sawdust, wood shavings clinging to his beard, and we normally would not give him a second look except as he nears home there's a little boy that sees his dad and he runs and he jumps up into the arms of Joseph and feels that warm embrace and all of a sudden we know that this isn't just a common little boy this is the god man this is the baby that was born to give eternal life to everyone who will put their faith and their trust in him. And all of a sudden we realize that this family is a unique part of biblical history that shows us the way to the cross. This is no ordinary little boy. He's the son of the living God who one day would go to a cross and lay down his life so that you and I could experience eternity forever when we embrace him as our Savior. My friend, this morning, I want to give you an opportunity again to embrace the baby as your Savior and our Lord. Maybe you need to make a recommitment of your life today. Maybe you need to make a recommitment to obedience, to having your antenna tuned toward God. It's when we embrace the baby and all that the baby provides that eternal life is ours. This baby is the life giver and this morning he's willing and able to give eternal life to everyone who will ask him
Let's pray. Father in heaven, in these quiet moments, we're awed at the man in the shadows. We can learn so much about him as we study his life. A man who listened to the voice of God. Who obeyed God the moment he spoke. A man who loved his wife. Loved his family. A man that invested spiritually in the life of his kids. Lord, help us to be that kind of a man, that kind of a woman today. May we yield ourselves to you. If we have not embraced you as Lord and Savior right now, Lord Jesus, help us to pray a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I need you. I invite you into my life. I want you to save me. I want you to make me new from the inside out. And there are others here that need to recommit themselves to you. To be the husband, to be the wife. That you've called them to be. To set the spiritual standards. To be so in tune with you so that they can communicate your life to those whom you've given to them and whom they love. Lord, help us in these days when there is so much that is not of you. May you raise up a cadre of families who will serve you with a whole heart and with fully devoted devotion to you. Now, just before I say amen, I want you all to keep your heads bowed. No looking around. But if you've made a commitment of your life to Jesus, or you've made a recommitment of your life, would you just slip up your hand and put it down? I want to pray for you and close it. Anyone like that? Say, Pastor, I've made a commitment. Yes. See that hand. Anyone else? Lift up a hand and say, Pastor, I've... Yes. Yes. Anyone else? Just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. Yes. Yes. God is here. God is speaking. Anyone else? Just with an uplifted hand. Say, Pastor, remember me. I've made a commitment to Christ or I've recommitted my life to Jesus. Wait for just one more moment. Father in heaven, You know the hearts of every person that has lifted his or her hand. And we pray that that commitment that they have made will stay with them. And that you will help them to always have their antenna turned toward you. Lord, we love you. We rejoice in you. We praise you for who you are. You are the life giver the life sustainer. You are the one who changes everything. 
We love you and we praise you. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.